0: Welcome to Mid-South Menu. I'm your host, Georgia Coles, and as a Memphian, I think our region's food culture is so rich, yet so underrated. Memphis truly reflects a commitment to an artisanal view of the food and drink crafted here. I have interviewed industry professionals and experts in their craft to get their perspectives on everything from gourmet coffee to Firestone beer to barbecue competition culture. I hope to share all this with you. Memphis's culinary offerings are unique and unparalleled, offering a wide variety of artisanal products. Join me on a tour unpacking the art and science of the 901's food and drink culture, Memphis's best, the Mid-South Menu. My goal with this podcast is for each episode to answer engaging questions you may have always had about the craft and creation of high quality food and drink. Thus, at the beginning of each episode, I'll name a few questions you can trust will be answered by the end. This episode focuses on craft brewing with Wes Osher. Wes Osier is head brewmaster at Binghamton-based Hampline Brewery, a recent addition to the lively craft beer scene in Memphis, featuring a tap room and an ever-rotating cast of new beers to try. In this episode, you'll find answers to questions like: What's the difference between English, German, and American beer cultures? How does someone become a certified master brewer? How do ancient traditions shape modern beer culture? And what are hops, really? Good morning. Today I'm here with Wes Ozier of Hampline, a Memphis-based brewery in operation since March 2021. So a fairly recent addition to the vibrant community of craft breweries in the Mid-South. Wes, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. So how did you first become involved with brewing?
1: Well, do you want the, the two-hour story or the 10-minute story? <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> or the two-minute story? <laughs> split the difference. <laughs> okay,
1: yeah. It's, uh, so I uh, went to school, grew up and went to school in North Mississippi, graduated from Ole Miss. And at that time, this was uh, late 80s, and you know, being a student, I couldn't afford very good beer, so I drank whatever was cheapest, uh, mm-hmm. usually Schaefer's Light or whatever. But then when I graduated, I joined the military as an Air Force officer and uh, my first duty assignment was Germany. So basically I fell in love with brewing in Germany because they have a very beer-oriented culture where it's uh, viewed more as a uh, food than it is a, uh, a, a, an adult beverage. So I, I just fell in love with the diversity and the flavor that they had in Germany. And when I got back to the States, this was uh, early 90s, they didn't have anything like what I had in Germany. Uh, Occasionally, I could get Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and when I couldn't get that, I started homebrewing. And homebrewing seems to be something that either captivates somebody or doesn't. So it Mm -hmm. captivated me, and when I uh, got out of the Air Force, I went to a brewing school, and one thing led to another, and now I'm a master brewer like 25 Mm -hmm. years later. So
0: So how did you, prior to going to... um brewing school, first learned those traditions when you were home brewing?
1: That's a good question. There were very few books available. Uh, There was a book by Greg Noonan that was available, uh, one by Charles Papazion, I hope I pronounced his name right, but he's one of the early uh, people in in craft brewing. And just basically learned by trial and error, reading what, what literature was available then, and then, you know, just going ahead and scranking cranking out. And finally, I got a pretty good replication of Sierra Nevada pale. So <laughs> it was, was trial, very trial and error.
0: <laughs> the real inspiration, huh? So I speak for myself, and I, I think most people, when I say that I don't really know what a master brewer certification entails, like what does that study look like? What does that work look like?
1: Well, it depends where you go to school. I went to school uh, at a... School called Siebel in Chicago, and they partnered with Domans in Munich. So it's really a two part certification process, and what they do is they cover the uh, base ingredients, so uh, the malt, um, yeast, and hops, and everything, and then they go into the science of it, which being an English major was a, a difficult thing for me. <laughs> but uh, it was well worthwhile. At that point, when I went, I'd already been in the industry for about 15 years, so I was very familiar with the, you know, the practical. Operational part of brewing, but it was uh, this really augmented my uh, knowledge and, and, and emphasized some of the science behind brewing. So, really, that's what separates, I think, a master brewer from somebody who's just, you know loves brewing and does it either from a homebrew standpoint or just joined the brewery and, and you know working at the brewery learning the processes.
0: Mm-hmm. How has working with both smaller and larger breweries the way you have, how has that impacted uh, your perspective on brewing?
1: Well, it's good. I mean, the, the more diverse the education is, I think the better. I mean, you know, a lot of people, craft brewers, look down on, on the, the mega breweries like Coors, Miller, and, but it's really, I learned a lot there. You learn a, a learn a lot about process, you learn about the equipment, how filtration works, and just a lot of things that you don't necessarily get. You know with a with a smaller starting with a smaller craft bird. Mm-hmm. So it's just really a diversity of uh, beer related processes.
0: Shifting more to talk specifically about HampLine, I'd love to know how you and HampLine came to be together in this partnership.
1: Well I wanted to go ahead and move up here to be closer to my mother and my daughter is going to Ole Miss so I knew that I didn't want to work at another brewery for somebody else. I really wanted to do my own thing and and pursue the art of it versus the, the, the operations and the craft of it, I guess. So I approached a group here, a restaurant group here in Memphis, about possibly setting up a brewery and met some people who got me in contact with Richard Rhodes, my current business partner, and it just kind of sprung organically from there. We decided that, you know, we wanted to focus on quality, uh, not quantity, and just have really a, a neighborhood type, cheers if you will, yeah. type, of, type of environment where we're putting out, I can go ahead and free to, to pursue brewing different styles when I want, uh, make it how I like, you know, procure the ingredients and the equipment that I felt I needed to do what I wanted to do. So it was, it was very much a, um, a labor of love. And also I like the community aspect of a small place like Ampline because mm-hmm. you really get to know the people that come through yeah. and it, it really is such a community uh industry
0: yeah talking about that freedom that you mentioned with you know being the master brewer here and working with a small-scale brewery like Hampline, you do so many inventive flavors and things with beer here um, what's the inspiration and like the brainstorming process is it collaborative is it more artistic or scientific
1: uh, all of the above. Uh, a lot of it comes from, you know, traveling around and drinking other people's beers. Um, for example, we just did a, uh, our slow pour Pilsner, which has jalapeno and pineapple. And I was just, i would never seen that beer before until my wife and I went to Omaha for a concert and I went to a brewery there. Uh, the name escapes me, but they had won a gold medal at the Great American Beer Fest for their, their oh. Pilsner. And uh, so that, that provides a lot of inspiration. That and just trying to perfect styles that I've loved for decades now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, shifting more so to the history of brewing more generally, in preparation for this, I just read this book um, by Tom Standage. It's like a history of the world in six glasses. Really fun read, um, like a surface-level deep dive into six really influential beverages, um, of course, one of which Uh, being beer as like a lens into human history and beer is like so ancient it really kind of gave me a bit more perspective uh, on how a lot of the traditions that we associate with beer being so social or like you know cheersing to someone's good health or cheersing in a big group that those traditions date back since like the very beginning. What do you think about that especially in connection with how you're actually involved in the process?
1: Well, I forget who said it. Maybe Thomas Hardy. But, you know, beer is uh, proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. So <laughs> yeah. it really is a great social facilitator. Like, I'm, I'm fairly insular. Um, I don't, you know, get out and meet people a whole lot. I, I prefer to do my own thing. But when I am socializing, I, I do like a beer, and it does help me relate to people. Mm-hmm. And really, it is a lightning rod for people who just want to congregate. Like, you look at the history of beer in Germany with the beer halls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Just a great social setting where these communal tables that people who don't know each other necessarily get together. And after a second beer, they're great friends. <laughs> I mean, you meet lifelong friends yeah. in, in the German beer hall. Same with the British. I mean, the British have a, uh, you know, a system of pubs. You know, everybody has their local pub they go to, and it's not necessarily to get schnockered. It's just <laughs> to go meet people and have a good time because, you know, beer is something not like uh, the hard alcohol. You can, you can sit and drink some for, you know, a couple hours and, mm-hmm. you know, just mellow out and, and exchange ideas and have a good time.
0: You think that, like, in the past few decades, kind of the rise of these, like, small-scale craft breweries like Wine. Mm-hmm they sort of might be like the American counterpart to what you described in Germany or England?
1: I think so. I think our culture has for a long, in terms of standpoint of beer, I mean, we've had these mega breweries really since World War II. And people have been accustomed to getting their beer from some plant, you know, mm-hmm. three, 400 miles away. Beer, the craft beer market, I think kind of coincides with uh, the farm to table aspect in a restaurant. I mean, people crave uh, freshness. They want a local identity. And I think it kind of ties hand and glove with with that that concept that people want to go ahead and uh, experience something local and fresh. Yeah. And you know, and when you talk fresh, you're talking about something that you know has been probably created within the last month, mm-hmm. versus like uh, Budweiser or something that may have been brewed four or five months ago. And you know, they really brew their beer for shelf life stability, which really filters out a lot of the flavor that you get at a lot of local craft breweries. So there's really kind of a synergetic aspect to, to local craft breweries.
0: Yeah. So breweries seem to sort of exist at the border of scientific inquiry. And there's all these, um, like I think you, you mentioned like the operational aspect where, you know, it's a process, but also there are so many historical traditions. How do you sort of balance, I guess, the considerations of like you know the, the chemical aspect versus sure. all these old traditions.
1: Yeah well I mean starting off I mean it's like any other endeavor you learn the framework of how to do something an artist learns how colors work together. A bricklayer learns how to go ahead and lay out a, a, a straight line of, of mortar. Uh, and brewing it's good to go ahead and know the basic fundamentals and the processes of beer and that's a building block for the, uh, the, the art and the craft part which comes later. Mm -hmm. So I I kind of built a framework at uh, at various breweries that I worked at. And now I feel like I can go ahead and uh, elevate that to do what I want, how I want to do that. But the art part and the the, the technology and the operational part, really, there's not one without another, I think.
0: So um, what do you wish that more people understood about breweries, brewing
1: I don't know. I think I wish that there's more of an education on brewing. I think that's probably part of our job as local craft brewers: educate people about beer. Like recently, there was an article in the uh, the Memphian, I believe, that said the interviewer was going around drinking beers, and the ones that he wasn't familiar with, like the styles like sours, he panned those because you know it wasn't what he was accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And I wish that more people would look at it open-mindedly it's like okay you know what, what is a sour beer about you know ask questions about it and don't just dismiss it automatically because you know when you're four years old you don't like broccoli but you know it could be 10 years later you really like it so i think it's really an educational aspect there i wish people would ask more questions i guess about what they're drinking yeah and not just pan it out of hand because it's something they're not familiar with
0: yeah and there's like such a stereotype that craft breweries they're very associated with specifically ipas when y'all do sours you do sour ipas you do pilsners lagers i don't know how craft breweries came to be associated with like just that one style
1: well i think it all originates really from sierra nevada pale in my past breweries when i was hiring uh, brewers i'd ask them one of the questions is what beer really turned you on to brewing and you know, over 50% of the time, it's one beer, and it's Sierra Nevada Pale. So that is really, that elevated the craft scene. And uh, people have been trying to, to, to add on to that style. For example, a New England style IPA mm-hmm. has only been around for, you know, seven or eight years in prevalence. Really? So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, people keep trying to, uh, to increase the uh, the hop aromas and, you know, just build a better better beer. Yeah. So, in the IPA, I think there's something to hops, too, where, you know, people either really love hops or they hate it. It's a very polarizing uh, ingredient. So, but IPA is the best expression of hops. I mean, long yeah. story short, I think.
0: No, it wasn't until I read that book I mentioned earlier that I realized how hops are used in... it. Well, from the way that it um, was phrased in the book, it seemed like it was used in, like, most beer. I thought it was just in IPAs, but I guess that's just the most... The flavor's the strongest, I
1: guess. Yeah. Well, it started out, I mean, you know, before hops are really used in beer, there was something called Gruet, which was just accumulation of herbs, local herbs, mm-hmm. meant to go ahead and bitter a beer and kind of balance out the sweetness. Mm-hmm. Um, because beer without hops sometimes tend to be over-the-top sweet. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened, I think, is that, you know, people wanted a balance. Just like with cuisine, there has to be a good balance of flavors. So... You know, first it was different herbs and then hops became prevalent because it's a beautiful little flower mm-hmm. and there's still people out there experimenting with, with ways to go ahead and manufacture hops where you're either getting aroma you're getting bitterness. It's just an escalation of the use of hops hmm. and uh, it's just a beautiful little flower.
0: It's, it's funny because like most people probably drink it at least once a week and, and yeah I, I don't think many of us could identify it.
1: Each region too, the Germans are known for a Hallertau hops, which is a um, kind of a florally hops that um, they use mainly for bitterness, but a well-designed pilsner also has a nice floral uh, Mm -hmm. earthy note to it. The Brits use uh, East Kent Goldings, Fuggles, and these very earthy hops that that have a completely different element to it, Mm -hmm. but it pairs well with the malt that they use, the local malt too. So it's interesting how the local ingredients have influenced the styles of German pilsners and uh, like ordinary bitters of uh, Great Britain, yeah. so it's really a, it's a combination of local ingredients that, that really mesh well.
0: Yeah, I, I never considered that connection to the whole farm-to-table movement, like the way you're describing it, it makes it seem almost like, like, like you said, like cuisine, because as I was reading, beer essentially started out as like thin gruel and we really separated it and beer it as like just a pure beverage as though it were liquor, but it, it does seem to have more um, freedom for like flavors and additions. Of
1: oh yeah, there's so many different styles. There's a, a, what's called the Brewing Judge Certification Program mm-hmm. that defines a style of beer. And really each, every couple of years, there are new beer styles being added to this this, this program. So, And that's due to the experimentation. I mean, people are you know, elevating, I would call it, styles of beers not only the uh, the accepted old styles but creating new styles Mm -hmm. like i mean the most polarizing beer i've experienced in my 30 years in the industry is new england style ipa because when it first came out my fellow brewers a lot of them looked at it like oh this is crap you know (laughs) number one it's not a clear very bitter thing that we associate with with ipa yeah but as it's taken off Everybody across the country is doing one now, mm-hmm. and it's a completely different beer. They call it East Coast versus West Coast style <laughs> beer. So the West Coast is the old style. The East Coast is really using an aromatic part of the hops.
0: We're talking more about the culture of breweries. Of course, people listening to this won't be able to see it, but on, on the one of the walls or corners, there are so many different stickers from other breweries, uh, even other breweries like in Memphis or in Mississippi, Alabama, like the general area, it seems like uh, like whenever I uh, have friends come to visit Memphis or whenever I visit friends in like, you know, Birmingham, Nashville, etc. in these American uh, cities, it's almost become a way to travel or a way to sort of get a read on the culture of a city to do like a little brewery tour. I imagine you can't be unhappy about that you're
1: absolutely right and it very is very much is a community mm-hmm. i mean whenever people get together for you know beer festivals or whatever it's it's usually a very uh, friendly communal thing and i mean obviously there are competitions amongst local brewers but it's a friendly competition for the for the most part 90 percent like when i was brewing in a uh, urban south down in new orleans We were first getting started before our cooler came up, and we bought a lot of hops. We bought basically a couple thousand pounds of hops. Mm -hmm. And Nola Brewery right down the street let us store the hops in their cooler. And that's really typical of uh, what's happening in, in between brewers. You know, whenever I go to a city now, I always look up different breweries, and I research the beers. Yeah. a lot of people are doing that. In fact, there are, you know, websites devoted to people rating beers. Rate beer, you know, is probably the the most known. But, you know, we get people in all the time who, you know, out-of-towners. That that was unheard of 20 years ago.
0: Oh, yeah. That whole uh, subculture of people who, like, this is sort of like a hobby. I had no idea that existed until I... Like was made aware of Hampline and aware of the whole craft brewery scene. And talking more about that subculture, I've been told that you're sort of like an advisor figure for the Memphis Homebrewing Association.
1: There's not a big distinction in my mind between professional brewers and homebrewers. I mean, we share a common love of beer. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a mutual learning thing. I mean, homebrewers come and ask me questions, technical questions, or, you know, even something like, what's your favorite beer? And they bring me their beer in as well. And, you know, a lot of it's really good stuff. And I mean, I'm asking them questions like, you know, how did you do this? Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, a brewery is should be an integral part of the community, a place where people feel comfortable to come and, and just relax and enjoy themselves. And giving back and donating beer to different things is one way we can do that. Yeah. Uh, hosting events is another way but without the community there is really no no crap brewing scene i mean that's really what it's founded on is is taking care of the local community Mm -hmm. and uh getting people to interact and come out and enjoy good beer and and, and meet each other you know beer is a way that people meet each other and relax around each other really it's basic foundation.
0: Like you said, with that fresh or more local aspect, I think that intrigues people. And a lot of people who think that they don't like craft beer, but they don't like one specific type.
1: Exactly. You might
0: love another.
1: That's a great point. And when I worked at Urban South, the production area was very close to the tap room area, mm-hmm. and I would go around sometimes looking and seeing what people were drinking and ask questions about what do you like. Mm-hmm. So the pH and the acidity level of most sours in a, a, a red wine, for example, is very similar. Okay. So, you know, sours obviously have more uh, acidity to them than, than most beers do, and that's a tie into wine. So a sour is really a great bridge for people who like wine mm-hmm. to kind of venture into the craft beer world. When you start talking about food pairings, Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many beers out there that pair well with food, more so than wine even. The wine industry has been, you know, playing forever with this idea that, you know, wine is the only thing that you can drink with a gourmet meal Mm -hmm. and everything, which is completely opposite of the truth.
0: A lot of the association with beer, you know, in the more mainstream scene is just like, not so much flavor, but it's cold, it's fizzy, and it's Well, it's light.
1: refreshing, too. Yeah. I mean, it, I, the way I look at it is each beer has its place. Yeah. I mean, I, I drink, I enjoy a light beer at a festival. I mean, if it's 98 degrees and you're outdoors, you know, listen to music, uh, light beer's a way to go. Yeah. Really, versus something a little heavier uh, and perhaps a little warmer, uh, light beer has it, really has its place in, in you know, the brewing world.
0: A real appreciation of beers—you can still appreciate the very like large-scale process.
1: Absolutely, and then I mentioned earlier the education process, and I encourage people when I'm behind the bar. Uh, haven't been for a while, but mm-hmm. when back when I was serving behind the bar, hey, you know, would you like to try this? And people had questions. It's like okay, I can sit here and talk about the beer for five minutes mm-hmm. and still get you no know closer to what it is yeah. versus have a little four ounce pour and taste it for yourself. I mean, oh yeah. That's, that's part of our job as educational. I really believe that at our size, you know, we can do that. And a lot of the Memphis breweries, I think now, are doing a really good job of, you know, saying, hey, look, these are the beers that we have. This is what this is. And, and yeah. serving them in, in, you know, very, you know, something where you can have five or six samples and you know yeah. not get schnockered.
0: <laughs> and I think like most people, have never had like a cucumber sour and i would i would guess almost everyone has never had like a jalapeno pilsner like oh, yeah. you know these are they're new flavors y'all aren't really doing something very new and exciting i think
1: thank you it's fun i mean not all of it works i mean i've had some uh, beers that didn't work before <laughs> but uh it's like my wife she loves cocktails she went out last night to a cafe society and uh had a cocktail that she came home and she was excited about She said, well, why don't you do this with beer? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I forget exactly what it was. (laughs) I think she had some, uh, there's some pear and vanilla and something else in it. Oh,
0: cool. Yeah. I've been told y'all have like one sour in those tequila barrels.
1: People are working with uh, barrels and everything because... It's not an exact science by any means. So, mm-hmm. you know, people will ask me, when is this beer going to be ready? And it's like, I don't have a good answer for that. I can estimate, you know, anywhere from six months to two years, really. And a lot wow. of that has to do with the environment, the, uh, the type of barrel, the type of beer. I last pulled the sample, I guess, about three weeks ago, and it still hadn't, uh, hadn't introduced the oak tannins that I'm looking for. Huh. So it's a little bit closer to the original product that I really want. And I want people to get an idea that, hey, there's some tequila, there's some oaking, there's some different things going on. Yeah. That's not, you know, you can't get out of the stainless steel from them.
0: The brewery scene in the States, at least, prior to that post World War II uh, real, you know, corporatization that you discussed, but it seems like people like to know where their beer comes from. They like to know the different elements. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's cool for people to see who made it.
1: I think so, too. And I I think people are craving more of a a local identity. Yeah. Uh, You know, I am from Memphis. I want to go ahead and eat food that's sourced locally. I want to drink beer that's brewed locally. Yeah. Um, You know, the restauranteurs have a little advantage. The chefs have and that they can source local ingredients. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't really grow great barley for sure. We can't really do good hops down here. Yeah. I uh, I want to experience something that's been, you know, done two blocks away or whatever yeah, it's, it's cool. It's, it fits a need and I don't know exactly what's going on there but I know that the craft beer scene is rising on the same tide as I think the uh, the chef scene, the, the, the farm to table concept so.
0: That is interesting. Yeah and you know y'all have the, uh, I think it's really cool especially in the past several months you've partnered with like a local Italian restaurant so people can get local beer, local Italian food. It's yeah. cool.
1: Yeah, Franco's.
0: Yeah, who doesn't want like a panini with a beer? That sounds amazing.
1: It does pair. There's a beer that pairs well with everything. I particularly like Natch with the, the, the paninis, but you know.
0: Yeah, that makes IPA sense.
1: will do it as well.
0: Well, um, I think that's about it for um, our questions. Thank you so much again for joining me. Uh, this has been really informative, talking about the science and the history. and Memphis specifically, and Hampline specifically. Um, this city, it's you know, it's so important to me. When I moved away, I really missed it, and uh, it's it's been cool to get back. And part of me, I guess, kind of um, finding a community here again after being gone for several years. Hampline's been a big part of that. I've uh, met so many people here, and you know, it is it is like Cheers. You really do feel like a, a regular. But um, yeah, thank you so much again for joining me today.
1: It's it's my pleasure. I I can talk to you about beer all day long. <laughs>
0: That's the end of the conversation, but not the end of the topic. I've just scratched the surface of this artisanal tradition and hope you feel inspired to do further research or just to look at your next cup of coffee, plate of barbecue, or slice of pizza differently. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Mid-South Menu, and I do hope to see you in the next one.